Smartcast. With the Baker's Plus Card, it's easy to get lower than low prices for the win. Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus Card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement. Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. It's with great pleasure that I welcome special guest Mark Wooden of Wooden Shed Creative as we discuss the passing of legendary actor Chadwick Boseman, best known for his role as T'Challa in the movie The Black Panther. Aside from his role as T'Challa in The Black Panther, Boseman portrayed several black icons, including Jackie Robinson, James Brown, and Thurgood Marshall. Bozeman died recently after a four-year battle with colon cancer, and his death rocked the entertainment industry and shocked the world. He lived his life as a real-life superhero and role model for millions. Bozeman's private battle with cancer while filming Thurgood Marshall, The Black Panther, and the last two Avenger movies, Infinity War and Endgame, demonstrated his unlimited inner strength. He kept his struggle to himself and only a few others. Our guest, 20 years plus of experience as a video engineer and director for live events with prior work for concert touring and conventions. Wooden is the author of two urban fantasy novels by Virtue Fall and For Her Sins. His work, For Her Sins, placed as a quarterfinalist in the Screencraft's 2018 cinematic book competition. Wooden produced and directed his own short film entitled Where the Heart Bleeds, which is currently available on Amazon.com which was shown at the Spooky Empire International Horror Film Festival in 2019. Recently, Wooden started his position as a movie and TV features writer for Comic Book Resources, which is also known by its abbreviation, CBR.com. Mark's website is woodenshedcreative.com, and his Twitter handle is at ShadowDanceSaga. It's with great pleasure that I welcome Mark Wooden to the show. Welcome. Hey, how are you doing, everybody? Uh, great to have you on me. appreciate it <laughs> I know hey, I've been talking about talk having about you on the show for a while so it's good to finally get you get you to come on and it's unfortunate that we're discussing the passing of Chadwick Boseman the first thing I want to ask you before we even get into the meat of the matter is what do you think it is about Boseman that made him such a special 
appeal to our global audiences. Well, the dude was a hero. I mean, I take it all the way back to, now to be honest, I know I, you know, full disclosure, I didn't see 42 right out of the gate. Really, my first impression of him was in uh, when the movie he played James Brown and Get On Up. And I mean, he blew me away. He was, I mean, I felt I was looking at James Brown and getting the vibe of Jade Brown. And I believe I read in an article uh, that one of his relatives, I believe, uh, sorry, James Brown's relatives, I believe his daughter, you have to double check me on that one, uh, was saying that it, he was so good that she felt, yeah, you nailed it. You don't understand what my dad was about. Um, and then, of course, the one that really brought him out to the whole world was playing Black Panther uh, in the Captain America Civil War movie. And I look at him in that movie, he was really the hero of that piece because while Cap and Iron Man were essentially bickering back and forth at each other like little children, it was Black Panther that kind of pushed the narrative of let's find out who this villain is. And when they did find Zemo, the villain, he made a point of unlike what most comic book heroes unfortunately do, killing their villain, he made a point of saying, no, I'm going to bring you in for justice. That's the kind of hero thing that we want to see. And as it turns out, you know, from what we found out in the last four years when he was battling cancer, Chadwick was a hero in real life, too. He was going to visit children who had cancer and talking to them about the disease and staying strong and finding it and keeping a, a level of positivity about them. And, you know, in hindsight, we know he was going through the exact same struggle. And it wasn't just like a thing I'm going to do for show. It actually meant something to him because at one press conference, I'm not sure which movie it was for, but at a press conference for one of the Marvel movies, he actually kind of, it was, oh, sorry, it was for Black Panther. He kind of got choked up because he said some of the kids he had visited were so excited about seeing the Black Panther movie, they hoped they would be able to stay alive long enough to see it. Now, unfortunately, some of them passed before the movie came out, and that's at the point where he got choked up. But, I mean, you don't do that as an act. That's, that's you. That's how you are. That's how he is. And it's just unfortunate that somebody who was so genuine gets taken away from us so early. You know, that's fine. I got goosebumps as you're talking about that. Cause you know, personally I dealt with cancer. I'll just say this and the mindset when you deal with that, even if you survive it, it changes your entire perspective of everything. And the fact that he was able to keep that to himself mm -hmm. and only a few people knew and his authenticity is just off the charts. I think that's enough to pay homage to him as a real life hero. For me, at least, yep. looking at his talents, his talents weren't just in acting. It was life, his life as a, a bigger, his role as a bigger than life figure on and off the set. What I'll ask you, looking at our well, current, even that, I wanted to get into it. I wanted to jump in there. Sure. Yeah, because, I mean, we live, let, let, let's just call a spade a spade. Uh, the world we're in right now, who knows how this is going to go. And every time you turn around, there's something, oh, my God, I mean, like there's the running joke that 2020 is like the year of the apocalypse. And just when you thought it was going to get worse, and you couldn't get any worse. Boom. Here's something else that makes it worse. And it's almost like daily. There's something new. That's like, Oh my God, I can't take this anymore. And yet here you had this dude who had every reason to say, screw this world. This world sucks. This is unfair. I mean, the guy was only like what, 42, 43 years old. You know, he still had a, you would think would have a long life ahead of him to go. He still maintained that positivity and made sure to bring that positivity to the rest of the world. I mean, everyone that worked with him on all the movies are always talking about 
talking about him so highly. And now, and of course, again, in hindsight, going, oh, my God, he was always that chipper and bright and positive on set. And he was had probably just come back from cancer treatment, you know, maybe a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. And the reason I bring that up is I just know being as drained as that is for somebody to then carry on their career mm-hmm. and, and keep it mum to themselves and, and working with children with cancer while he personally and trying to be that positive force for others who deal with the same type of illness that he's dealing with. Mm-hmm. I don't know many people that have that kind of character. That's just amazing. That stuff. Those are great. Yeah, it makes you think things to hear about. <laughs> you know. Well, it makes you think. Makes what you are you doing with yourself. your life? <laughs> well, with all the negativity that's been spoon fed to us day by day, drip, drip, drip for almost three and a half years, it's nice to have some positive information come out about someone who just passed. And mm-hmm. while his passing is as sad as it is his life example should be what motivates a lot of us to get through some trying times. Cause if he can go through cancer and film blockbuster movies, like the ones that he did and still pull out ahead and do everything he did and have all that pressure on his shoulders, then most of us can carry on with our lives is the pandemic and racial things and all, you know, all the things we're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask you this. One of the main reasons I want to have you on is, A, you have a lot of experience and wealth of knowledge about not only comic books and entertainment and film and and all these different substrates of the same thing. One of the things you talked to me about before we did this episode today, this interview, was your knowledge of the background of Black Panther itself in the movies. And I wanted to see if you could share with our audience a little about that history, because I think this might bring it all together for them. Well, the thing with Black Panther and why it was such a big thing as it was is you know besides the obvious fact if it was really the first time that and i'm going to say black but keep in mind that really the character black panther is a strictly african character there's no african-american part about him bozeman was african-american born in south carolina and all that but the character itself is conceived back in 1966 by stan lee and jack kirby names familiar to you because i mean between the two of them most of the heroes you're seeing on screen right now, they had, especially on the Marvel side, they had their fingers in them one way or another. But when they created him, he was an African king from the fictional land of Wakanda. Fun fact, he was almost called either Cold Tiger or Black Leopard, but it didn't have the same ring as Black Panther, so that's what they eventually stuck with. Interesting. But we, in the superhero movie verse, when you get when we get to the level of movies where you know they're 150 million dollar, 200 million dollar blockbusters, there has never been before Black Panther a lead character who was black or even African or African American. I do want to put the caveat that yes, back in the late 90s, uh, Wesley Snipes did have the movie Blade, and he's the you know he was an African American character though. Fun fact with him: when that character was conceived, he was British and had a way different outfit. It was like green and yellow. It was this really gaudy thing that, thank God, they changed it. (laughs) But yeah, Wesley Snipes was there with Blade, and a lot of people do like to point out that Marvel was floundering with their movies up until Blade came out as a solid hit, and it kind of set the the template of take a character that people outside of comics don't really know, and then give it, you know, a little push people will like it and then you can go from there that really is the template of what iron man eventually became but like i said keep in mind even when marvel hit iron man and then started hitting their stride by the time they got to uh, captain america the first avenger 
white hero, white hero, white hero, white hero. Oh, look, there's black sidekick in War Machine. There's black sidekick in Falcon. But still, predominantly those white male heroes, which when you look back on the comic books, you know, even as, as progressive as Stan Lee and Jack Kirby were, it was still predominantly white heroes. And then, oh, look, here's Black Panther. So by the time Black Panther came around, I mean, that was a thing. I mean, Hollywood was notorious for saying, ah, well, you know, we have to, when we think about these $200 million movies, we have to think about the world market and black movies don't really sell in the world market. Of course, their idea of, quote, black movie was like um, a Tyler Perry movie or, you know, a a movie like Friday or like um, Love and Basketball that was coming out like in the early 2000s, you know, these small urban dramas. That was their idea of a black movie and that it didn't sell. Black Panther was a completely different animal. Now, you have to admit that it did have some help in that it's part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe lexicon. And by that, I mean Iron Man bled into The Incredible Hulk, which bled into Iron Man 2, and there was a continuing story as things progressed. If you missed one of the movies, you could potentially miss an important part of the story and wouldn't be able to see the movie after it because you'd be too busy guessing, well, wait, who's this guy? What happened there? I'm confused. So it does have that built into it. And they even made a more of a point with this by having Black Panther first appear in Civil War. But then by the time you got to Black Panther, the, all that Marvel storyline stuff is true. But I'll tell you what, people who had never seen a superhero movie before in their life got their dashikis and were at Black Panther to see this movie in the middle of Black History Month, which I have to give mad props to Marvel for uh, scheduling it like that. But, like, my mom, my sister, they don't know Captain America from Iron Man, from Superman, from Batman. Darn it, they were in line to see Black Panther and loved every minute of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. And and that's the thing. A lot of times we just, as passive viewers – I'll show up to a movie and when we could go to a movie theater before all this happened with COVID, <laughs> right? You know, we'll go into a movie theater. We're ordering our drink. We usually have a date with us or a group of friends. We'll go sit down and we'll watch the previews and then watch the movie and stay for the end part of the show of the movie, you know, where we have some interesting trailers that are interesting scenes at the end of these movies with the, you know, Marvel universe type stuff. And then we leave. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us don't think of the symbolism associated with the creation and production of these projects. And looking at what you're describing and the development of the character of the Black Panther and, and, and incorporation of it into this Avenger universe, I guess we should call it, with Marvel. What would you think Marvel in hindsight? Yeah. yeah, Marvel Cinema, sorry. In hindsight now, what would you think they could have done, Marvel could have done differently about the Black Panther and the portrayal of these characters, do you think there's anything they should have done differently to improve it, or do you think they hit it pretty damn good? I depiction? mean, for what they were doing, I, I have to give them props. They, uh, Kevin Feige, and forgive me, I'm probably pronouncing his name totally wrong, so I'm just going to keep calling him Kevin, though I don't know him like that, but just to preserve the name there. Uh, he did a good job of planning this whole thing out, and one of the things he's always championed is he wanted to make it a more diverse universe. Now, when he first started out, there is this guy, Ike Perlmutter. Let's call him Ike. 
Ike Peak, uh, who was very dead set. He was in charge of the Marvel movies, and he was very dead set against giving a solo woman a movie or even thinking about any more diversity like Black Panther or anything like that. Somewhere before the whole Black Panther movie thing came together, uh, Ike was moved off of the Marvel movies, giving Kevin complete control to do what he wanted to do. And that's why he said, all right, now we're going to get Falcon a little bit more screen time and we're going to get us a Black Panther movie. And I mean, they built him up really well in that, you know, they gave him his little, for lack of a better word, prolonged cameo in Civil War, and then just said, hey, to do the Black Panther movie, I'm going to lean in hard on diversity, not only in front of the camera, but behind the camera, because I want to really capture, I don't want to do a movie that let's look at this African setting through the point of view of the white man's gaze. Let's look at it from people who have a tighter bond with the scenarios that we're going to play out in the movie. Hence hiring Ryan Coogler, who was just coming off the phenomenal Creed with Michael B. Jordan. And hey, since I've already worked with you once, Michael B. Jordan, let's pull you in here too. We'll make you Killmonger, the antagonist in the movie. I don't like to call him the villain, and we'll get a little bit more into that later. Um, and then he brought in production designers, costumers, who all, again, leaned in hard on let's look at African culture. What can we draw from it that's positive and good and bring that to Wakanda to make it something the rest of the world really hasn't seen before. In fact, it leans hard into a concept called Afrocentrism, which is the idea that when you see most fantasy stories, they're told from a European mindset. That's why the running joke with fantasy movies is, oh, wait a minute. So Middle Earth, all the people there have British accents? Or, you know, in science fiction movies, it's usually all about either this bright future where evil corporations press down on minority figures, read, you know, black folks and Africans. Uh, so Afrocentrism decided, well, instead of having those kind of worlds, what if we took African culture to its height through technology? And then you get things like Wakanda. In fact, um, many authors and critics of Afrocentrism are very pleased that Black Panther came out because now when they say, hey, I deal with Afrocentrism, uh, centrism, they can just say, oh, it's Wakanda and people understand. Um, and just a little backstory too, if you're looking for more Afrocentrism, look for the books of Octavia Butler. Uh, Janelle Monet in her music deals a lot with Afrocentrism. And I do want to give a shout out to Mark Derry, who is the, who's the person who coined the phrase Afrocentrism in an essay called Back to the, sorry, Black to the Future. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> uh, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about what, what are your viewpoints on the description of, I, I guess, the term Afrocentrism, for example, mm -hmm. the distinction that the characters for the movie, I know we talked about this before we did the interview, that you, you indicate that they were actually African characters and not African-American characters. Correct. And I was going to see if you could share that with our audience a little about that distinction and why that's relevant in terms of understanding Bozeman's legacy and, and the movie itself. Well, it's just the thing that, you know, I just wanted to be delineated. You know, a lot of people will just blanketly say, yeah, Black Panther's the first big black superhero. And yes, there's this running, there's this running thing in the black community that if you look black, you are black. That's why I like, you know, 
Kamala Harris is actually Jamaican. No, you're black. Uh, you know, kind of a thing like that. Um, but yeah, he really is derived from Africa versus say the Wesley Snipes version of Blade, who is African American and comes with all those kind of things. But what is interesting, even amongst all of that, is how closely the Black Panther movie kind of trends with concepts in the Black community that are, you know, dear to our heart. For example, you were talking in your intro, and I know you talk about this a lot in your show, the idea of police brutality and how the Black Lives Matter movement is out there because they feel that disproportionately and statistically, depending on the point of view you look at it, statistically, they have backing on this, that the state represented by the police brutalizes black people disproportionately compared to the rest of the people in America. And here you have Black Panther pop up with the character Killmonger. This is why I say he's an antagonist, but not a villain. Is Killmonger who lives in America. Now remember, he's Wakandan by birth, but his father took him from Wakanda and to Oakland. And coincidentally, where Kamala Harris is from, uh, <laughs> took, her to, uh, took him to Oakland. So he grew up in America. And he sees that outside of Wakanda, in America, there are people like him who are being beaten and brutalized. And he knows that Wakanda, with all of its high technology, could do something about this, but has chosen to not do anything and remain isolated from the rest of the world. Now, you could actually justify, historically justify, Wakanda stance, because let's look at the birth of America. The Native Americans were here. The European colonizers came. And the Native Americans opened their arms and said, hey, we'll help you figure out how to work the land. We'll help you settle in. And they were rewarded by smallpox and death and rape and displacement from their land. That's some of this stuff still goes on today. We have, <laughs> if anybody has the right to be pissed off about immigration, it's the Native Americans. But um, <laughs> I have a, when you realize all of this that's going on, and you're a person like in Killmonger's position who sees we have the power to stop this, he decides to use that technology to oppress the oppressors, to oppress the colonizers, and fight back and protect his people. I mean, it would really be the equivalent of, you know, situations where the Black Lives Matter rally ends peacefully and they go home and then all the looters and rioters come out. That would be Killmonger. That would be the stress of seeing people like you beaten, feeling powerless, but hey, damn it, I'm going to fight back. As Martin Luther King said, and I'm paraphrasing, rioting and violence is bad, but you have to understand that that is the last ditch effort of someone who feels they have no voice. Again, that's bad, but you have to understand they feel they have no voice. They feel that they can't speak. They're not heard. When they speak, they're not heard. That's the Killmonger approach. But Black Panther, being the hero that he is, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, just for the audience, played by Michael B. Jordan. Is that right? Yeah. In the movie? Uh, Killmonger, yes. Okay. It's played by Michael B. Jordan. Killmonger, I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, and then, um, yeah, the other Eric thing, go ahead. Uh, you know, uh, and then I was going to tell you, it, it, go ahead. Good. Yeah, to finish up that thought, okay. um, Black Panther steps in as the hero, and he realizes that Killmonger is right and that Wakanda should do more 
for people who look like them and the world with the technology they have. But he's wise enough to know that the violence isn't the way to go. And he approaches it more from how the Native Americans did of, hey, Killmonger, we have to beat you back down because your approach of violence is not the answer. But you're right in that we should use our great facilities to help the rest of the world. And that's really all that African-Americans want with Black Lives Matter is they just want to be heard and they want somebody to help. And that's what Black Panther stepped up to do. Oh, no, I didn't want to interrupt you. I'm sorry about that. Really. Uh, when when mm-hmm. people write, uh, I write a post for Black Lives Matter on my social media, like Instagram or whatever. And I had one today, a woman who I don't know, sent me a response under my post, all lives matter. And I'm so sick of hearing that. It, it, it infuriates me that people even now, after all these killings and all this brutality and all these things are still grouping things from such a position of purposeful ignorance. And it, it aggravates me. Anytime someone writes out on my well, social media, I usually just ignore them and block them, but it's frustrating. It really is. It just aggravates well, me. Do you have any opinions about that? I'm going to start on Blue Lives Matter thing, and then we'll circle back around. Now, a lot of people, you know, black, it was kind of like nobody cared about anything until somebody said Black Lives Matter. And then all of a sudden, now, all lives matter, Blue Lives Matter. And yes, all lives matter. Yes, all uh, Blue Lives Matter. But with the Blue Lives Matter thing, I had read, and of course, this is on Twitter, but it's still an interesting point, is Blue Lives do matter. Yes. But if things get really bad for Blue Lives, they can take the blue off and they're, they disappear. You know, they're not blue anymore. They can escape from it. Black people, we ain't going to turn white. Some of us have tried. It has not worked out well. We're not going to, you know, <laughs> we're always going to be black. If a white supremacist decides to attack, you know, some people, the white people can say, well, I'm actually white and look away, but the black people are always going to be black. And, by saying Black Lives Matter, it doesn't mean that Black Lives Matter more than other people's lives or black or other people's lives don't matter at all. We're just saying that, hey, y'all are disproportionately hurting black lives. Our lives matter too, as in also, as in remember in your great works of documents that define the United States, you said all men are created equal, which by the way, right there is effed up because they said all men meaning women we're not even thinking about you but that's that's a whole nother episode but all all men are created equal well then how come black men disproportionately get killed by cops versus white men well so we're not trying and when they say all lives matter that kind of at least to me is telling me no all lives matter and what's happening to you black people is trivial and it's not a real thing and it's not something we need to address because all lives matter we're done with it. Let's move on. <laughs> so I can see where that would be frustrating. Yeah. You know, when someone I mean, writes that, by saying it, it's that, also good. I would say it's also kind of a cop out as rather than saying, you know, as Martin Luther King was saying, rather than addressing why people are saying black lives matter by saying all lives matter, it's just a blanket way for you to cop out and walk away from it. Kind of like instead of addressing the problem of police brutality, um, We'll take away Mrs. Butterworth and Aunt Jemima. Are we square now? <laughs> you know, I was going to say to you, as I hear somebody say all lives matter, I think of them on their smartphone while they're sitting in Starbucks drinking a cafe macchiato or something. 
and uh, just yeah. not really looking at the full issue or understanding it. And that's what I think education is so important in awareness. And hopefully, I guess, actors like Bozeman can help bridge the divide through entertainment. And I, I think that's one of the things we talked about as well before the show was mm-hmm. the value and importance of, of role models and symbolism and viewpoints being presented in a fair manner through entertainment. Cause that's a passive way that we gain information, whether we like it or not. Yeah. I studied I think as, what a, we... as a nerd. Okay. I studied as a nerd when I was younger, a lot of world war II stuff. And I mm-hmm. watch a lot of documentaries and part of that is propaganda and seeing how both sides use propaganda. Right. Well, I feel even today right. that there's points made in entertainment that could be beneficial and valuable to helping bridge the divide between all lives matter, blue lives matter and black lives matter. You have a say on that? What's your opinion? Well, it's the idea, for example, with black Panther, I'm going to use, I'm going to use black Panther. I'm going to use the Netflix Luke Cage series. Uh, Both of them dealt with black people and black and people's issues. I'm going to blanket black for now. Like I said, African and African-American really, but I'm going to blanket black for now. That was black issues. Black Panther was better received because, like, the movie doesn't make a billion dollars by just black people seeing it. I'm sorry. We don't have that kind of pull as a community. We can make Tyler Perry rich, but we can't make, like, Marvel rich. So that means some white people went, and that means some white people went and liked it, and that means some white people went several times and liked it. So by seeing Black Panther and these positive images of Africa, people who may have been negative towards blackness can go, oh, they're actually pretty cool. Oh, look, here's this heroic character. I can get down with this. Now, I bring up Luke Cage because that was very, that one was more, you know, even though Black Panther had the uh, African trappings in it, you could almost kind of write it off as, you know, I'm looking at this cool sci-fi, almost alienist culture, but like you would accept the Jedi or you would accept the Ewoks, you would accept this because it's more of a fantasy. Whereas Luke Cage was down home, gritty, urban, which of course is code word for black in Hollywood, uh, story. So a lot of the criticisms of Luke Cage would be, oh, well, I couldn't really get into it because it was just too urban or it's just too ethnic or it's just too black. Yet, black people for, you know, damn near a century of cinema had to get used to white narratives. So, I mean, it's, it's with, hmm. and that's why I say it's good that Black Panther got out there and kind of, like I said, through the Marvel thing, slipped in the back door and made people pay attention. You know, you probably can't get, I mean, I do see white people at Tyler Perry movies. Don't get me wrong. Thank you, white people, for helping us out there. But, you know, that's not the, the, the target audience for Marvel is not the same people who would go see not even necessarily a Get Out or Reginald Hudlin film or 12 Years a Slave. You know, they wouldn't be going to see or, or Ava DuVernay movie. You know, they wouldn't be going to see Selma. So they wouldn't get that exposure of that black culture. But Panther brought it right to their doorstep. And the other thing that Panther did with representation was normally, you know, sometimes you'd get like, and we had talked about the movie The Help, or uh, Hidden Figures, where it's a black narrative told through the eyes of a white person 
so that white people can identify with that white character. And uh, I think it was Emma Stone in The Help and Kevin Costner in Hidden Figures. So it makes the white people in a time of racism seem heroic. So the white people don't feel so guilty about racism and can kind of look at racism from a distance through this white character. Whereas Black Panther, you're in it, dog. You're in the black. <laughs> you just your your focus character is T'Challa. You're in the blackness. You got Killmonger. You're in the blackness. Now it did have white people in the movie. The uh, Everett character, uh, I think it was Martin Freeman played him. He's in the movie, but instead of being like say in the black in the in the horror movie world where it's a all white cast, token black person, token black person is comic relief. He dies, and then we move on with the white hero. Everett actually got to be a part of the movie. You know, he was very integral. They gave him an entire mission all his own. We're trusting you with our technology. Go out and shoot down these planes. And he was a part of it. Everyone, and, you know, Black Panther taught us we can all be a community, kind of like leading up to what you were saying about, hey, let's show that Black lives, white lives, and blue lives can all work together. Well, here's your perfect example is this Black Panther movie pulling everybody together. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I just want to say too, for the record, uh, I've got. I didn't mean to cut. Oh, I was just going to throw in there too. There's the the other side to that representation is, uh, for example, after 9/11, you saw a lot of movies where Muslim terrorists were the faithless, evil, bad people, and you know the the American, usually white dudes, were the heroes, and they would just obliterate the terrorists. But, you know, it never caught the subtleties of, well, why are they doing what they're doing? Now, I'm not saying that we should take Osama bin Laden and then make a movie to justify why he did his evil and all that. But, you know, it's nice to see the nuances as opposed to you're bad, I'm good, I have to kill you. Because all that does in the long run is it breeds subconsciously, like you're saying, it's a passive experience, but subconsciously. If all you do is see 20 movies where Muslims are evil, bad people, you're going to start to think, well, Muslims must be evil, bad people, which is why I have to throw the TV show 24 a bone, because even though it was a straight up Muslims are bad people, hero Jack Bauer is going to save the day, they made a point of humanizing the terrorists to the point that you could at least understand their reasoning and then decide still, oh, it's still bad. You're still doing the wrong thing. But I can at least, you know, humanize you a little. And there were also characters who were Muslim who were on the side of the angels who told you, yeah, what they're doing is bad. Flip that script. There were also white dudes who were doing really bad stuff for worse reasons than the Muslims. So they kind of balanced it out. They tried to humanize. And they also made a good point of the lead character, Bauer. And I know we're getting away from Bozeman, but uh, the lead character, I'll bring him back. No, you're good. The lead character, Bauer. um, He sometimes resorted to the same techniques that terrorists use and we got to see the repercussions of how that hurt his soul turned him into a lone man you know it cost him spoiler alert for a show that's almost 10 15 years old uh, it cost him his wife his daughter didn't want anything to do with him and you know that was kind of a reflection of what we were doing at the time we stooped to the level of torture and those people argued that that is not who we are as americans and we got to see the effect of that in Bauer. And that's kind of where we need to go today to bring it all back to Black Panther. We are more divided now than we ever were. We're doing and saying things in America 
that we would like to think are not what America is about. And here's Black Panther to show us, you don't have to accept that. You can get the community together. And by get the community, we mean it's gonna take white people, it's gonna take black people, it's gonna take people who violently oppose what we're gonna do, but we can bring them around to see our point of view if we just get together and fight. That's an interesting point. What we I was that. looking up while you were talking just now earlier about the Black Panther's earnings. Did you know that it made mm-hmm. $1.29 billion globally and that it bypassed Titanic and actually uh, was, one, was, the, oh, yeah. was one of only seven films to earn over $600 million within the United States, and it's the top-grossing superhero, fil- superhero film of all time in North America. I don't know if you knew that. That's, That's some big stuff. That is a lot. time, though, this <laughs> Right. But I, I think ultimately Endgame uh, knocked it out of that top spot. Well, it may be the highest grossing in America. I, have, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I'm pretty sure Endgame eventually became the highest grossing movie of all time. Um, okay. But again, well, it's, it's, it's still, I mean, well, but again, think about this way. As of 2000, yeah, as of 2018, when it came out, those statistics were true. And like we were saying earlier, is you don't become the number one superhero movie of all time just because black people saw you. That means Chinese exactly. people saw it. And remember, remember, Hollywood has always said, oh, black movies don't sell overseas. Well, to make a billion dollars, there's got to be a lot of people overseas who saw the damn movie. That's what so I'm saying across the field globally. And again, well, here's a, here's you a can cute look at little it. anecdote. I was going to say, here's a cute anecdote from uh, Endgame. Is in some theater, there's a recording out there I forgot where the theater is from, but um, to show you how much T'Challa is a love, beloved character in the Infinity War movie, spoiler alert for a movie that's two years old that you all probably saw anyway. But when the snap happens, when Thanos does the snap, uh, Black Panther is one of the characters who disappears. In Endgame, there's a sequence where all hell is broken loose. It's down to the final fight. Uh, you know, Captain America's tired, Thor's tired, Iron Man's tired. They need reinforcements. A portal opens up, and this fig- these figures come walking out of the portal. Now, people are already excited because, you know, oh, for health is here. But when they realized it was T'Challa, Black Panther had come back from the snap, that theater went a crazy, crazy nuts <laughs> clapping for him. And the guy on the audio of the video said that more people were clapping for T'Challa coming back than when Captain America made his entrance earlier, when Iron, when Captain Marvel rescued Iron Man at the beginning of the film. That's how much they love Black Panther. And like I said, That's he amazing. really is the hero of that saga, simply because Cap went on his solo personal mission to save Winter Soldier. Meanwhile, Iron Man, let's be honest, Iron Man created every villain he ever faced by some hubris stupidity that he did thinking, oh, I can save the world. Oh, did I just create Ultron? Uh, (laughs) So as much as he is a good character and found his redemption, you know, he ain't exactly the noble hero we should all aspire to be. But Black Panther, you can't beat that. Oh, did I mention Black Panther's African? (laughs) (laughs) You did. You did. I have an interesting point to make from what we're talking about. The fact that it was so Mm -hmm. successful financially – to me, represent that there should be a green light for more production projects similar to this in nature to represent the black community globally. 
Do you find that that's going to be something you think will come as a trend going forward in light of everything we're dealing with in our uncertain times right now with race relations and everything else? Well, uh, when uh, Bozeman passed, uh, Simi, Lee, Simi Liu, Lee, so I'm sorry I mispronounced your name, sir, uh, but he's going to play Shang-Chi in a future movie, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, that's scheduled in whatever phase the new Marvel movies are in. He sent out a tweet that said he acknowledges that without Bozeman knocking it out of the park with Black Panther, there would not be a solo Asian superhero movie to be made. So to me, that really tells you a lot right there. Um, Marvel interior to themselves are going to take the Sam Wilson Falcon character, who, by the way, is one of, if not the earliest African-American superheroes, again, created by Marvel. He is getting his own TV show with the Winter Soldier, where he's going to take up the, it's called Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but remember at the end of Endgame, he was given the mantle of Captain America, and I understand that part of the drama of the show will be that, yes, you're given the mantle of Captain America, but there's going to be some folks, white folks, who aren't going to be happy with a black man representing America. So that, again, ties into some of the stuff we're doing. I mean, look at the eight years of Barack Obama. I mean, to be honest, the reason we have Trump is backlash from white supremacists that a black dude was the president of the United States for eight years. <laughs> so that can be an interesting angle for Falcon and the Snowman. As for more black-led projects in general, well, we had HBO's, like, mega Emmy-nominated Watchmen. Uh, I think that was something that was going to happen anyway, but it got an even bigger reception uh, when it came out, possibly because people were looking for more, like, Black Panther-type stuff. I know they've already set up uh, – they haven't put any plans in place, but I know they want to redo Blade, unfortunately not with Wesley Snipes, but that will be coming down the pipe. There's a prominent – black character uh, on The Boys, Amazon Prime show. The character was actually white in the comic book, but they changed him over to uh, A-Train is his name, by the way. Uh, they changed it over from a white character to a black character for uh, The Boys. So, yeah, I think there will be Black Panther, like you said, with the financial success of that, they went and looked and said, oh, wow, maybe this stuff will work. You also had, I can't not mention uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That was the first time Miles Morales, I don't want to call him the black Spider-Man, but and technically he's actually the black Hispanic Spider-Man because his mom is Latina and his dad is black. And it sometimes gets lost in translation that he is actually a mixed race. But again, it's that thing of black folks like to say, if you got a quarter black in you, a tenth black in you, use black. So we claim them. <laughs> but we have to share. We really have to share him. But the success of that I mean, movie and people are just clamoring for another one. I just wanted to ask you. Uh, we're running low on time. We're, I mean, we have still some time, but I want to make sure cool. I stay on, on task with our discussion of the Black Panther. I just want to ask you this: right. What do you think it was about the movie itself and about the character T'Challa that drew audiences to the Black Panther? Uh, out of the gate, I'd say his, well, you know, there's the usual stuff that you want to see in a superhero and that he was very smart. You know, he, he was, had a, let's be honest, he had a cool outfit. He moved well. 
I mean, he did all the cool action stuff that you'd like to see. But then when you get deeper than that, I mean, he had that air of nobility. I mean, even even when his sister Sherry is joking with him and he's hitting stuff that blows him across the room while she videotapes it to put on social media, and he says, hey, erase that. You know, he still had this humility, this humanity that you could just real quick identify with. It's kind of like the same thing that Christopher Reeve Superman had. It was this sense of hope and that whatever happened, this guy was going to get you through it. And I think that was a big draw. And Bozeman carried that not only in the Black Panther movie and all the other movies he did, even if it was like a true-to-life character like Thurgood Marshall, he still brought that sense, that regal sense, that humanity, that you knew he was going to get you through it. And he was just this great, hopeful thing, that you're a person, I should say, that you could rely on to get you through that tough time to show you how to get through that tough time. That's an interesting point. I know symbolism is so important with messages and symbols. I want to ask you this. What is a fun fact that you will share with us about Bozeman and all my children, the show itself, the soap opera and, oh. and Michael B. Jordan. So, um, and this is a story that Bozeman told when he did a commencement speech at his alma mater, Howard. He had gotten a part on all my children and he went in the first day, knocked it out. Producers loved it so much that they brought him in and said, Hey, whatever you want to do, do you have any questions you want to talk to us? So one of the things he was concerned with is he started going down a list of questions about the character and he found that, what the producers had felt for the character was like the epitome of the stereotypical black character. You know, he didn't know his dad, his mom was a druggie, he's a thief and a uh, gang guy. And he said, well, could we do something to make him more human? And they went from, we love you, Chadwick. We're going to put you on forever. We're going to extend your contract to, yeah, um, we'll get back to you. And he was fired from the show. Michael B. Jordan, who would later play opposite him as Killmonger was his replacement. Now, we don't know if Michael B. Jordan like changed the character up to not make it so stereotypical. That's like a whole other story. But it's just interesting that, you know, Bozeman made it even even in his earliest days before he was Chadwick Bozeman, he was looking out for I want to do better by my people. And unfortunately it cost him his job. But coincidentally it opened the door for Michael B. Jordan to start his career so then the two eventually came back together in Black Panther. That's interesting. That's a, that's a, that, you know, one of the things I like the most about the Black Panther and Chadwick Boseman is the idea that you could actually, just like Obama got elected as the first black president, you can have superheroes that are African-American or, in, in, you know, to be technical, African descent. But I like the fact mm-hmm. that there's role models involved of a positive nature. And I just want to ask you, what do you think is going to be the future of role models being, I guess I could say, the future of role models in this particular area in entertainment with African-Americans? What do you see for coming up? What, what's your opinion about that? What do you mean in, like, say, superheroes or more movies in general? I'll, I'll start with superheroes. What do you think about other black superheroes coming down? The, I know you mentioned a few already, but do you think what – you, what's your opinion about, like, 20 years from now? What do you think – this type of area, this genre will look like based on. Well, it's going to get more colorful experiencing it. <laughs> okay. It's going to get more colorful and you're going to start to see more women in it. And hopefully you're going to start to see more women of color in it. 
I know that, um, and I also want to see more of a shout out to our LGBTQ people to get you guys in more of these movies as well. I know there was the sequence in Endgame where Captain America's at a, like a little um, survivors meeting. And one gentleman there mentions that he had a, a gay partner and Captain America doesn't blink. And that was supposed to be, yes, see, we've helped out the community. Well, yeah, we need a little bit more than that. <laughs> so, I mean, I know we've got uh, uh, Kamala Khan, a.k.a. Ms. Marvel, is coming down the pipe. Um, like I said, Miles Morales is out there somewhere. In fact, they've already alluded to him in the Marvel Universe in the movie Homecoming. Donald Glover plays the uncle to Miles Morales and even mentions Miles. So that's something that's down the pipe. But, yeah, in, in general – now that we've opened the door to say that yes, audiences will accept these co- these <laughs> these characters of color, and through Captain Marvel even have accepted lead uh, women in the lead movies. Uh, I would expect there to be a lot more of them. Now, one of the areas I hope they pick up is I know DC Comics has revived the Milestone Comics banner. That's where characters like Static Shock and Icon, who is all black superheroes. Uh, came from. And hopefully that will be something in the future that will come up. But I mean, all around in entertainment, we're seeing more of a a little steady push towards making it less all about the cis white man and including other characters of color, women of color, women in general, seeing them push to the forefront. Now, this does not mean just like, you know, people would say all lives matter, uh, blue lives matter. This does not mean we're pushing the white cis male out. There will always be a place for them, just like I said, the Everett character in Black Panther. And there will always, you know, there will still be movies where this white male is leading the charge and being the hero. But it's nice that they can share space with other people, and it's not all one type. I don't ever want it to get to the point where every movie that comes out has a Black hero or a Hispanic hero. You know, that's just not the diversity we're looking for. And I think that may be the common mistake with when people say we want more diversity. They're not just like when they say Black Lives Matter, we're not saying that by diversity, it has to be all of a particular non-white race. We're just saying to just share the space. Can we agree on basic principles <laughs> that everyone yeah. should be accounted for at the table in society and everyone should have an equal vote and everyone should have an equal depiction in our, in our cinema, in our entertainment industry mm-hmm. and should be paid appropriately. And it shouldn't be such a big deal that a movie like right. the Black Panther is top grossing. It should just be expected because talent is talent. It doesn't matter anything else. That's the future of what I hope yep. to see someday. <laughs> Let's talk and about... And that would be a good one. In terms of... Oh, yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about you for a few minutes because you have a lot of experience yourself with entertainment, and I wanted you to talk a little about... Well, the website, like we said, is woodenshedcreative.com. And on the site, I have information about what I do for live events. Like back in the day, I was a, uh, a roadie. I got to do Mary J. Blige, and that was an experience. She was great. Don't get me wrong. She was great. The show was great. The people I work with, wow. Uh, <laughs> I did some engineering for Jimmy Buffett going into the turn of the century, and that was actually a way a lot of fun. In fact, uh, I my biggest responsibility is, as the pair of heads know, I'm not sure if he still does it now, but back in the late 90s, early aughts, uh, he did a thing where he would go into the parking lot. They, well, he wouldn't go. 
we would go in the parking lot and we'd shoot video footage of all the parrot heads and then it would play back during one of the songs. And my thing was taking that footage and editing it together. And I turned it into a kind of a story where you'd see some people and then a girl would start to pull up her top, more people start to pull up the top. And then by the end, bobbies, woo! And the crowd went wild. <laughs> and I was sitting, and this was one of my earliest tours. So, you know, I wasn't used to the whole, you know, tours, celebrities, and all that kind of stuff. I just knew Jimmy Buffett was a big thing, uh, but, you know, like, whatever. I'm sitting in a hotel in Pittsburgh enjoying my fried scallops when I could have scallops, so I'm shellfish allergy now, but my scallops, and all of a sudden I hear this, Mark! And I turn around and look, it's Jimmy Buffett. The first thing I thought was, oh, Jimmy <laughs> Buffett knows my name. He knows, he, can fire, he knows who to fire if stuff goes wrong. But what actually happened was he came over, shook my hand, and said, Mark, that parrot head footage is awesome. I love how you do that tease. Keep doing it, man. It's great. Wow. Um, <laughs> let's see. Also on the website, I have a tab for my fiction, the Shadow Dance Saga, my urban fantasy saga. And uh, as much as I parade about, yeah, we need more diversity. We need more black folks. Yeah, it's led by a Caucasian female, but that's okay. It was originally conceived back in the 90s based off of, the emerging urban fantasy market. It really wasn't even a market then. It was really just Laurel K. Hamilton and her Anita Blake Vampire Hunter books. And then eventually it emerged as urban fantasy. And for those who not in the know, urban fantasy is basically take the vampires, the demons, the goblins, and put them in modern day life. So like a movie like Blade or Underworld, that's urban fantasy. Uh, I conceived it back then before Wesley was Blade, before Sarah Michelle Gellar was Buffy. And I just created this whole world, and it's really just taken me till the last five years or so to really hammer down and write the books and write some short stories. That's on the website. Uh, I also have my musings before I started writing CBR, where I talk about music that's influenced the Shadow Dance Saga, you know, topics like what we're talking about here today, or I'll give a quick review of a movie or something. And then I have another portfolio page that has links to my work at CBR. I've written an article about why remaking the Powerpuff Girls as a, you know, dark Rivendale type story, a Riverdale type story is not necessarily the way to go. I've looked at the character Stormfront from The Boys. I've mentioned how Sean Connery is the best James Bond with only Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig coming close. And um, recently, my latest piece will be a bit on why it's cool that Lashana I forget her last name right now, but Lashana, who was playing a double O agent in No Time to Die, Lashana, Lashana Lynch, who was also in Captain Marvel, by the way, is playing a double O in No Time to Die and how she may get a spinoff. But hey, fun fact, since 1997, the producers of the Bond franchise have been trying to make a spinoff with a woman of color. I give you a little bit of history about that. So I'm keeping busy. Like I said, CBR is my latest thing. I'm working on a third Shadow Dance novel is actually going to end up being a prequel to the other two novels, and I think I'll repackage all of it as a trilogy. You heard it here first before I go to write my second trilogy. That's going to be a doozy. Uh, Congratulations. That's great. So yeah, things <laughs> sounds like some amazing going. stuff going on. I, uh, yeah, like I said, I just have to and keep if, the nose down and keep it going. Right. <laughs> In this time of COVID, where, yeah. I understand how that works. I was going to ask you, if anyone wants to reach out to you as a result of our show, where would they best find you, your website, or where would they go? 
windshedcreative.com. It's also shadowdancesaga.com. Uh, either one of those two will lead you to the same place. Uh, if you can stomach some politics, uh, then you can go to uh, at ShadowDanceSaga. Uh, sorry, at ShadowDanceSaga on Twitter. Uh, I do talk about some pop culture stuff, but with the dark turn our politics is taking and the importance of this election, I like to try to keep people informed with as much fact as I can give you, so you can try to make that positive decision because you all need to be out there voting. And like I said, I, I don't want Absolutely. to tell you who to vote for, but it should be kind of obvious that the two choices you have on the table, and I'm not even going to say two choices, because there really are only two choices. You can either choose to have an America that lives up to its ideals, or you can have an America that will eventually become a fascist dictatorship. Those are your choices. <laughs> if you can't figure out which side is which, you may be part of the problem. It's, it's basically Twitter. We're entitled to our um, positions and our opinions, obviously. Anyone can do what they want, but that's my opinion on this show, and you're entitled to yours as well. Well, and, and my <laughs> thing with it is, is it's not really even a red versus blue thing anymore. Like I said, it's do you want an America that's good, or do you want a fascist dictatorship? It's that simple. Even people like the Lincoln Project and the Never Trumpers have come down on the side of, all right, we have to save, we have to bury the hatchet between red and blue right now because it's more important to save America, and then we can go back to fighting. But if we get another four years of, as Spike Lee calls him, Agent Orange, you may not get to vote <laughs> in 2024. You know, well, it I'll sounds like hyperbole, but in 2016, you didn't think he'd be sending troops on the street to throw people in vans. And you didn't think that people would have to protest since June to try to get a little change in policing, but it's happening. It's happening right now. It's at your door. <laughs> well, this is not the like, one. It is this. This is, yeah, this, this is, is the not the one. Yeah. yeah. This is where, this is the part in the movie where Black Panther gathers his <laughs> troops and gathers the Avengers and charges out to take on Thanos. This is where we're at. You know, Doctor Strange is holding back the De Department of Homeland Security from arresting people and throwing them in jail. You know, Iron Man is working on a vaccine. Black Panther and Captain America are leading the charge against Ancient Orange. I mean, Trump, I mean, Thanos. So let me ask you this: <laughs> all, all hands on deck, buddy. All hands on deck. You you stole one of my questions. I was going to ask you which Marvel character would you say best represents the president of the United States today? <laughs> you beat me there. Well, yeah. Okay. Uh, the thing the thing is though, Thanos is too smart and has a moral objective. That was the interesting thing with that character. Even though, you know, it's wrong to decimate half the population his intentions of protecting, you know, let's face it, Thanos was an advocate for climate change. <laughs> you know, he was an advocate for uh, not destroying the planet and destroying the food supply. His met like Killmonger, his methods were whack and should never be done that way. But the intention, you know, you don't kill your daughter to save the rest of the world. <laughs> Correct. So in that regard, he's not, Trump isn't really Thanos because he just has a scorched earth attitude. He has no reason other than himself 
to do what he does. Absolutely. We're running low on time, but I do want to ask you this. What do you think is going to happen to the future of the franchise for the Black Panther without Bozeman? Well, the first thing they should never, ever, 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 ever do is recast someone as Black Panther. That would just be a slap in the face to Bozeman legacy. And from what Marvel has already done by airing Black Panther commercial free on their ABC network and then doing a tribute to him right after, I don't think that's a road they would go down. In the comic book, Shiri at one point does take up the mantle as Black Panther because T'Challa has to go on like a vision quest or soul searching or something. And she eventually takes on the mantle herself. So that's a potential to do for that's the T'Challa sister now. Right? For the movie, the one with all the technology things, just so that the lay people yeah. of our audience, you know, they may not always remember characters. Right, yeah, but sure. She was the sister. She had the little uh, gauntlets on her hands that she was shooting at people and calling people colonizers. Yeah, that was her. Uh, she was badass. Now, what should they do? <laughs> like her. Yeah. And that's why I say she'll be perfect to do it. She's the perfect age so that she can do, like, you know, another 10, 15 years of Black Panther-type movies. Uh, what they do with the character of T'Challa, Black Panther himself, this is just me spitballing as a fanboy. But they could always have the end of one of the other movies, when they do the post-credit sequence, have a news report that Black Panther T'Challa has died. So we all freak out. And then when we get to Black Panther 2, the beginning of the movie, because the character has a full face mask, they could always have a stunt T'Challa do something heroic, die a heroic death, and then Shiri takes over. And at the same time that Shiri takes over, remember, Wakanda has opened themselves up to the world. Well, you've got evil corporations like Stain International, if that's still around, uh, Hammer from the second Iron Man movie. I'm sure Hydra has a little tentacle somewhere. They could all act as, historically, the European settlers to the Native Americans. Oh, Wakanda, all this technology is nice. Let me see how I can figure out to exploit it and take it for myself and pillage Wakanda, the thing that the Wakandans for centuries have been worried about happening. So now Shiri not only has to live up to her brother's legacy, but she also has to defend Wakanda from all outsiders trying to pervert them. Now, what Ryan Coogler, who's directing the movie, actually has in mind, I don't know. I know he had written a script based on Bozeman being alive, and he had mentioned in a, in a pseudo-eulogy that was published that he's written all these great words and actions, and unfortunately, we're never going to get to hear them. But now, you know, after taking a moment to, you know, kind of grieve for Bozeman, eventually they will have to pick up the torch and see where they go. Uh, I think they've got the better part of a couple of years because now with COVID pushing things back and I don't think a Black Panther yeah. 2 was in line for probably three or four movies anyway. So there's usually, you know, two or three years in between there. So they've got time to come up with something, but that's my little fanboy incentive if we have to go down that path. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, because we really are low on time. I want to thank you for coming on today. Your gift in hey, terms of your, you depth, your, your, your depth of knowledge. I was going to say, your depth of knowledge with this issue is very, very appreciated for our show because I am excited that we could present this information to our audience in light of the recent events and the passing of Bozeman. And I, I just think that you and your wealth of knowledge is greatly appreciated. And I really thank you for all your success and everything that you're doing out there to help in terms of the general masses understanding the intricacies of the entertainment industry. 
I'll ask yeah, you one last question. A, Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I'll say it is. It's a mess. It's a lot that goes into, you know, we enjoy the fact that we can just go sit down, watch, and walk out of the thing. But like I was saying, with even uh, Kevin's fights with Marvel just to try to get a movie made and get a particular type of movie made, there's a lot of jockeying that goes around the background. So the fact that a movie can get made at all is in itself a minor miracle, especially a movie as huge as Black Panther or even as small as, say, Get On Up or Marshall, the fact that they happen at all, especially movies, the smaller movies like that, because, you know, the whole, I don't know, a black movie selling. So, you know, it's hard to get them made, but, you know, whatever light I can shine on them, I'm there to do it. <laughs> but I appreciate you having Absolutely. me on the show. I'm going to ask you one last question. I asked all my guests this. If, and this is the spiritual side of the show, so keep that in mind. Uh, I'll go first, but I'll ask you, if you were a spirit animal, which one would you be and why? And I'll go first. As I say on every show, I would pick the owl as a spirit animal for myself. Spirit animals come from shamanism, just so you know. And they represent a part of yourself that you can connect with with the spirit world. So like an owl, for example, represents, you know, a a bird. I have two parrots, and I love birds. Plus, they soar, and they're wise, and they have all vision 360 kind of stuff. And they're strong, so that's why I pick owl. Uh, what would you, you know, I'm putting you on, on the spot a little, but what kind of uh, spirit animal would you pick and why? Well, to be totally honest with this, I mean, it's almost like a softball question because, well, we're talking about Black Panther. So what, <laughs> I don't know much about spirit animals, but just from an iconic point of view, the Black Panther would, ha- would have to be it now. Do I live up to all the greatness that Bozeman brought to the Black Panther character? No. But in light of what he has shown us, what we can be if we work at it, I'm thinking I need to kick it into high gear and actually follow what Black Panther represents and push myself further and bring positivity to the world. You don't have to be sure bad things are going to happen. You don't have to be negative about it. You can spin it. You can make it better. You can work hard. That's why I say You have to get out and vote. That's our chance to make it better. Our politicians have failed us at every turn in trying to turn this back around, and now it's up to us. So like Black Panther, don't take it lying down. Get your community together. Get out there and make the world a better place. I love that, sir. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you. (laughs) I appreciate uh, it. Yes, thank you. I just want to thank Mark Wooden for coming on the show today to discuss our tribute. Chad Bozeman and the Black Panther. Mark Wooden's website is woodenshedcreative.com. His Twitter handle is Shadow Dance Saga. In terms of what to expect going forward, a lot of us in our society are dealing with a lot of hardship, as, as Mark indicated earlier. It's challenging for us to take a negative situation and be able to see beyond it. When you have the passing of civil rights icons like John Lewis, and then we have this, you know, king loss of Chad Bozeman, who, who left us at such an early age and kept his illness so private while powering through and serving as a positive uh, example to all of us. I wish we could get our hands on the Infinity Stones with the gauntlet, snap our fingers and bring Chad Bozeman back to life. We can't do that, unfortunately. So what we can do at this point is celebrate his legacy, celebrate his accomplishments, his character, his achievements as a person, and utilize that strength going forward through these challenging times that we're all experiencing. 
I want to thank everyone for listening to the show. We are going to have more programming like this coming up. And I absolutely love having Mark Wooden on the show. We're going to like, likely have him on to share other points of views regarding entertainment and, and our, our current times. So keep that in mind. If anyone wants to reach out to me, you can always find me at info at the letter D, socialpsychicradio.com. Stay safe, stay positive, be happy. And until next time, thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook, and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. Are you looking for that perfect gift to express your appreciation for your loved one or bestie? Well, look no further. Royal Susie offers one-of-a-kind designs with genuine high-quality crystals, stones, and the most precious of metals that are guaranteed to satisfy the urges of your inner king or queen. Each piece is handcrafted with love and is sure to inspire and captivate all. Indulge yourself by visiting Royal Susie's website at www.royalsusie.com for splendid items like agate bookends, impressively crystal-studded bottle stoppers, and beautifully handcrafted nightlights that will charm every room in your home. Royal Susie's featured collections will truly delight your guests and always make them feel welcome. Any questions? Contact Royal Susie directly by email at royalsusiedesigns at yahoo.com. With the Baker's Plus card, it's easy to get lower than low prices. For the win! Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid.
Electricast.